Hey there, group. How is everybody? It's been a while since I saw you guys. I've been a little under the weather. How's things going, Nico, Joe, Brian? Great. Great. How about you, Tony? Uh, I'm really saddened by the Joe getting his haircut. Um, man, I don't know, man. It's just it always gave me something to look forward to, and now that he he's butchered, it did. I mean, you know, not good. I know you were going to take this hard, Tony, um, but. You know, you're never far from my thoughts, especially while I was getting my hair cut. And I want to say that I heard what you're saying, and I got you something special here. I want to show. Do you see what this is? Oh, my God. It's a lock of your hair? <laughs> it is. Oh, that's my retirement account right there. That's that's it. That's you know, gold. Not, yeah, that that's is gold. gold. That's gold. Right. Right. I mean, I, not only that, I think you can clone me from this. So, I mean, it could go... Yeah. Do we want more of you around, Joe? I guess that's the question. I think I think one is way more than enough at this point. Now, I'm not going to verify whether this came from the barber if I just got this from the drain this morning. But either way, it's yours, Tony, for Thank sure. You. So, well, well, wait, Joe, wait. you got that boy band thing going on. It was looking looking fresh. All right. Yeah, I think yeah, we're, we're going to have to hand the baton off to you, Brian. You've got the, I mean, uh, you've got almost like the full, yeah. I, I don't know, what is it, 70s look? Very good. Got the facial hair uh, going. I don't know. I ended, I actually did get, I did go to the stylist a couple weeks ago, and she, like, evened it out. And my daughter, seven years old, didn't believe me that I had gone to gone to the hair salon. She's like, no, you didn't. I'm like, I did, you know? But, you got yeah. to get a picture of you under one of those dryers that they have, you know, where you sit in. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I was going to go get my hair cut on Monday, and then my car wouldn't start again. Uh, so my car was tied up for a couple of days, and then I just said, "The hell with it." I just put in a ton of uh, gel, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave it. I'm gonna somebody's, you know, I'm gonna take after Brian now. Brian's leading the way with the longer hair. Leadership is important in life, so I'm good. I'm, I'll take that. Yeah. So, yeah, other than that, man, it's a rainy day over here, dreary and uh, overcast. But I cut the grass the other day, so I'm okay for a few days. And uh, that's that. So we had a theme for today. This is kind of a, a belated birthday of sorts, right? So originally we were hoping to do this. We had some logistical problems, but... Um, uh, we were looking, this is, uh, would it be the 113th, I did the math before the show, uh, anniversary, if you believe the official dates, of uh, Stanley Ronvon. So it's, it was his birthday, May 15th, right? Yeah, and I don't, I'm one of the guys that doesn't believe the dates. I, I believe he was older, not much older, but I do believe he was older than that because 
I mean, you know, our minds can't, our memories can't play tricks on us, but I vividly recall somebody giving me a, uh, a sheet, a paper, one of the neighbors. Oh, wait. Oh, we got our, we do, we got, where is he now? We had him for a second. I'm here. Oh, okay. We just started the show. Welcome. I was just going to mention that uh, we're, we're having our our official expat guest here, uh, <laughs> Andre Verdun, the Battle of. Um, yeah, you know, I'm sitting here for like 10 minutes trying to get my laptop to boot up. It, it decided to do the Windows update thing, so I finally gave up and had to switch to the iPad. Oh, by the way, when we when you started to record this, Joe, I got a pop up on my laptop for the first time saying that Zoom is recording. Press continue to to, to uh, allow yourself to be recorded. Did either any of you guys get that? Yeah, we I got an audio thing saying this meeting is being recorded, so that might end up actually on the on the broadcast. Uh, oh, well, I, I, I think they're just yeah, it makes sense from I guess like just letting everybody know, you know. Because I'm often recording people when they don't know it, so it's probably good that they <laughs> they give a warning. Only women, though, from what I hear, Joe. True, true. <laughs> well, to get back to what I was just saying, I swear that, you know, before I officially knew Stanley Rodman, I always knew of him and would see him at church. But before uh, the official uh, thing, a couple years, I thought, before that, the guy, one of the guys that lived down my street gave me a sheet of paper that had it was about Rodron's 70th birthday and a list of all the feats of strength that he would still do in a show. So, but if you go by the official record, then, you know, he was born in 1909, I think they say, or something like that. Um, that's not it because I started with him in 77 and this was before then that he had his uh, 70th birthday. Um, unless that was, Unless that wasn't true. You know, when you're in show business like that, it's common for people to, you know, uh, change things. You know what I'm saying? So, Tony, what are we talking uh You estimating that he was claiming what may have been the, how many years we talking difference? Oh, three or four, maybe, you know, not a lot, you know. Uh, so I, I was under the assumption, I thought he was born in like, like 1905 for whatever reason. And the, the reason I think that is because my grandfather was born in 1915. And I don't know why I always thought that Rodvon was 10 years older than my grandfather. But again, you're asking me to go back 40 years plus, you know, 45 years ago or something. Um, so my memory could be faulty. But yeah, I, I thought he was born around 1905. So if that's the case, he'd have been 116 years old um, today or this oh. year. I thought you were going to say he would have been 116 years old when he passed away. I don't know. No. He lived to be, you know, officially, I guess you'd call it official, 89. He was just shy of his 90th birthday. Uh, and, uh, you know, he was the type of guy who used to say, you die from within, right? Uh, he was fearless, meaning, I, I mean, logically, he knew that if he got hit by a truck, that would probably be all there is to it. But he didn't live his life like that. He was fearless. Uh, you talk about a bodyguard. You talk about a wrestler, a fighter, he, or whatever you want to call it. He did this for real, which is which is where I wanted to go with it. You know, um, 
I wanted to just, you know, be the real deal, not be a showman. And he always, it was the, it was the strong man stuff that really gave him his identity. That's what I believe he was most proud of. And that's what most people knew him as, as a strong man. Uh, and he would entertain people even impromptu with, with things. Uh, and the sad part for me, because like I said, I was a kid, I was 13. Uh, so I'm very impressionable and so on. And it's kind of like kids who learn magic. I've always been a fan of magic. I know a couple card tricks, but I'm not a magician. I'm not good at all. And that's the way I want to keep it. Because when you start knowing the tricks and knowing how it's done, you know, you lose, it loses it something, you know. And, and Stanley Rodvon was like that. He exposed me to all the tricks, so to speak. This wrestler, this such and such a wrestler, he wasn't really good. He was a pony. This strong man, he used fake plates or whatever. He, he let me in on all of this. So some of the, I guess you'd call it heroes that I had or guys that I kind of looked up to and admired, um, it was a wake-up call. It was like, oh, man, you mean to tell me that they were full of shit, <laughs> you know, in certain avenues? And, yeah, unfortunately. So that was kind of like a, a, a big thing. But he felt he had to do that. Um, he had to, he had to tell me the truth about things so I wasn't, you know, misguided. Well, it's interesting. So, I mean, you must have, because I always get the impression that he was kind of, I don't know if standoffish is the right, but when you describe your time with him that, you know, obviously you really didn't get to know him too well. You were a kid, you know, and he was an older man and he demanded respect and you couldn't really question him too much, but it sounds like sometimes he would open up. Well, he would talk about other things, but even adults didn't know him. He was very guarded. He was a very guarded guy. Uh, so, yeah, the big thing with me was being a kid, 13 through you know, basically 18, you know, we didn't, yeah, I was of that era, kids are seen and not heard. And you, you, you don't ask too many questions, uh, you know, you, you respect, you just do as you're told and you, you got to form that trust. Um, but yeah, even as years went on, I mean, adults hit more, more closer to his age. Uh, didn't know a lot about him, you know, contemporaries or people maybe slightly younger than him. Um, he kept stuff to himself. And, you know, this is the type of guy that you didn't push, you know, literally, you just, you didn't pry. And life in general back then was like that. People were, you know, especially old world people were close and they kept shit to themselves, even family members. You know, there's a lot of people that I know that are my age now that are just learning through re research things about their parents or their grandparents that, you know, they never really talked about. You know, uh, my grandfather being a World War II uh, veteran, Pacific Theater, U.S. Army, rarely talked about the war, rarely. And most of his goombas, you know, Hardly ever talked about it. They would brag about other soldiers, but they didn't want to talk about their experiences. 
and Stanley being in a concentration camp and just other things, you know, he, that's just, he rarely talked about it. You know, I didn't push it. I didn't, again, my immaturity at that point, I really wasn't even interested in digging. You know, all I wanted was, Hey, I want to learn how to fight. And well, I wish I could be as strong as you. That's, that's all I care about. But look at me. Well, you guys, some of you guys know me pretty good, but Nico doesn't know an awful lot about me. Um, your son, Ben, and uh, he probably doesn't know that much about me. You know, he never sat down in all the times I've trained him and, you know, asked me any personal questions or asked me, hey, I, can you help me get a girl or, you know, anything like that? He, you know, we didn't, I didn't have that kind of relationship with him, you know, with, with, with uh, and, and most people don't. But with my music teachers, I did, you know, because again, I was older then. I was over 21, and we'd go out and throw down some beers and, you know, just hang out and everything. And, um, but yeah, I kind of like what we do. So, Tony, you met him at, at church, right? Yeah, so I had always known about him because he was very popular. He went to my church, uh, and he was uh, very famous. But let's uh, – let me – so there used to be another strong man. I never met this guy because he was probably dead before I was born. But his name was Peter Zebich, and I believe Peter Zebich was originally from somewhere in Pennsylvania – well, he was probably originally from Croatia because I think Peter Zebic was Serbian or Croatian. I don't recall. He supposedly had the handlebar mustaches and everything. Well, anyway, Peter Zebic used to sell what was called snake oil, okay? And he had a horse-drawn carriage. Well, where my grandfather lived, when my grandfather was young, Peter Zebic would come through with the horse-drawn carriage selling his snake oil liniment and performing feats of strength. So that part of Cleveland, that neighborhood where my grandfather was, was from, and all of his, his friends, they were all on the Zebich bandwagon, okay? Peter Zebich was, was stronger than Rodvan, right? <laughs> and, you know, until so you had your Rodvan click that all said, yes, Stanley Rodvan, strongest man in the world. <clears throat> I mean, I don't even know if their paths ever cross. I know nothing about Peter Zebich. I, you know, I mean, that was before my time. And before Peter Zebich, around the late 1800s in Cleveland, there was some other strong man that I don't recall his name now either, but he did all the, you know, the, the feats of strength. So anyway, getting back, Rodvan, I'd always, I was raised on hearing about Stanley Rodvan uh, and all the feats of strength. And I, I guess at one point, my grandparents were basically neighbors of his, not in a house that I was raised in, but, you know, like when my mom was young. Uh, so they, so that was always a topic, you know, uh, you know, it's just the way it was. So then I've said this before, but excuse me, I became an altar boy and we had a very small crew. I mean, matter of fact, my school closed after my sixth grade for lack of enrollment and permanently closed. So I had to serve mass every week and we had three masses. If I remember correctly, 8.30, 10.30, which was high mass in Polish and then 12 noon. And then you had a Saturday, they started that five o'clock mass. 
And so when I was on this uh, Sunday altar boy thing, one week I'd work 8.30 mass. The next week would be 10.30 mass, and that's where I would see Stanley Rodvon. And then the third week would be um, 12 o'clock mass, and then the next week would be Saturday. So I'd see him like once a month. He ultimately ended up leaving my church and went somewhere else. But anyhow, I used to see him all the time when I would serve that. And you, you had, he'd have this big brown shirt on and, or a, a suit on. He had that bow tie. His chest was way out. I mean, he just had that barrel, barrel chest and walk, you know, like this and everything. And it was really uh, intimidating to, you know, to see him. And I never approached him because, first of all, I, I didn't know he wrestled. And secondly, back then, wrestling wasn't considered fighting. You know, I've talked about this before. It's funny how mixed martial arts is so about wrestling. Back then, everybody mocked wrestling, you know, and boxing, too, for that matter. All the martial arts, you had to do kung fu or, you know, whatever. Um, so, yeah, I really just, I would see him and, you know, at a distance or, you know, if the, the, the pastor would, walk up to him because Stanley was very religious. Um, if, the, if the priest would walk up to him, I would be by the priest. And, you know, he'd do this to my hair. That was about it, you know. And I felt even then this electricity, right? And he didn't shake my hand at that point. <laughs> that came later. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so that's how I actually got to meet him. But Joe has an interesting story that my mom told him before she lost her memory. I went... My mom was pregnant with me. She ran into him at the neighborhood, you know, store there, you know, the grocery store, the neighborhood thing. Oh, you're going to have a kid and you're going to have a big baby, big boy. Yeah, and I was almost 10 pounds and I was a month or so, a little over a month premature. I never grew up to be a big kid. I was, uh, you know, kind of skinny, but as a baby, yeah. So, um, and even then, Rodvon would never shake a lady's hand. He refused to. Uh, and he even told my mother that I refuse to shake your hand because he could not control that strength. That grip, when people used to think he's purposely crushing you, he's not. You, you don't have an idea how this guy's grip was. You just don't have a clue, okay? Uh, it was amazing. He'd grab on and just, that's it. Uh, so, yeah, my whole life uh, growing up, I, I, I had known about him. So... But again, it was as a strong man, you know, not as the wrestler. Tony, I imagine, you know, back in the 70s, obviously this is, what was the three channels on the TV? You had the AM, FM. I imagine neighborhoods and communities were probably a lot more in tune with, you know, your local folklore, your kind of your local personalities and heroes, as opposed to, you know, what's going on today's technology and even sports, for example. Well, that's correct. And see, Stanley, my neighborhood had turned bad, like horribly bad, like the worst in the country bad, somewhere in the late 60s, right? So Stanley, um, Stanley. Uh-oh, are you guys losing Tony? Am I, can you guys hear me? No, I can hear you again. Yeah. You're choppy there for a minute, but you're okay. I may have to uh, plug it in. Anyway, uh, Stanley had moved out of my neighborhood. Um, my neighborhood historically was called Old Poznan. It used to be a Polish neighborhood, believe it or not, years ago. 
Hence, when he first came over to Cleveland, he was in that neighborhood. Hence why he be, went to my church then, because it was the largest Catholic Polish church in, in Cleveland. And then as the neighborhood changed and so on, he moved to another area of Chicago, of uh, Cleveland um, that was also Polish. Slavic Village is what they call it. It's, it's still called there. It's still called that. And then some, I don't know the reason why he ended up quitting the church, my church. I never asked. So, so when I knew him, he did not live in my neighborhood anymore. It would have been much easier if he did, but he did not. But I think that's one of the reasons he kind of took a shine is because he knew how bad the neighborhood was and he knew that I lived in danger. Um, so yeah, anyway, you guys talk about something for a second. I'm gonna go plug in uh, the uh, the cable here. Okay, yeah, and if he has to drop off or whatever, he may have to jump back in. Um, you know, it's funny because, um, you know, everybody kind of knows Tony's association with, with Luthez, you know. Um, at least that, that's when I first, you know, started to watch Tony's tapes and stuff. I think that was kind of emphasized more because Luthez is kind of known nationally, you know, or internationally even, you know. Um, but this was kind of an aspect, you know, and I think more since, you know, he's kind of up, updated his website several years ago, you know, he kind of advertised that. And if you definitely came and trained, he talked about it. But I don't know. I don't know if I necessarily knew about Rod Vaughn, even when I first came to uh, – train with him when did, did you guys have the I'm same back. kind of impression oh he's back and you're plugged in now yes i heard what you were saying because i was <clears throat> kneeling down here um yeah you know the the how the internet is and uh there's you know it, it's it's fascinating that people think that every fact ever known to man is is on the internet and that's just not true there's a lot of stuff about a lot of people that aren't on the internet. You know, I remember <clears throat> several years ago, I was trying to find one of my friends from a long time ago. There's nothing on him, okay? Nothing. Uh, you know, I don't even know if he's alive anymore. Um, but yeah, I, get, I heard you say something about Lou. And now Lou and I had a friendship. We had a relationship that was very personal. It wasn't just wrestling oriented. It was about life's lessons, you know, uh, things like that, uh, as I did with with uh, my music teachers, you know, most of my music teachers, the ones that I tr studied with for, you know, any length of time. Um, but to, to Stanley Rodvon's credit, I probably wouldn't have had a life to learn all these lessons if it wasn't for him teaching me because I absolutely used his stuff to defend myself and more than, you know, on many occasions. And it, it, so, you know, I, how can you not be grateful for something like that? You know, just like with me, when I train people, I'm not buddies with everybody I train, you know, I don't keep in touch with, with everyone. I can't delve into their personal life, you know, but, um, I wouldn't have had a life if it wasn't for him. I... Tony, you did mention, obviously, when you first met him, you were, a, you know, barely a teenager. But I think I recall in conversations when you got older, 18, 19, 20, is you, you would sometimes hang out socially with him, or at least see him in circles. Is that correct? Yeah, now and then. And that's exactly how uh, – I don't want to get into dirty laundry here, but, you know, I had said something to someone – 
and it's the telephone game or whatever they call that. It got passed down. Somebody's oh, Tony said this, and another person adds to it and so on. By the time it got back to him, it was, you know, that I insulted him, which I never did. I'm not going to get into what I said, but it was a compliment. But they twisted it and, and shit. So, yeah, and that was the last time until shortly before his death. Um, as a matter of fact, Kevin and I were going to fly out in uh, 1998, I believe it was, yeah, 98, uh, to Cleveland to see him and just to get me back to Cleveland for a while. And we were going to go in June because it was my birthday. And, and that's how Kevin, you know, with his business, he cleared off a block of time so we could go and we didn't make it. He died, I believe, that April. So uh, what are you going to do? Um, Tony, talking about some of the things you found on the Internet, um, I actually came across a congressional record that mentions uh, Stanley Robbins. Are you aware of that? I was, and I used to have a copy of it. And, you know, that was 20 computers ago. Yes. Now, <laughs> that was Dennis Kucinich. Now, let's talk about Dennis Kucinich because, you know, he ended up running for president. And I, I guess that's his wife uh, that does a lot of commentary, whatever. So the, the day that I actually officially hooked up with Stanley Robin, he was bodyguarding Dennis Kucinich. Now, it was our church's picnic. And so Dennis was the mayor and he of Cleveland, and he was going through some hard times. Cleveland was in, in bad shape, and they were going to do a recall and, you know, all of that jazz. Yeah, whatever. I mean, I don't remember if it was exactly at that point in time, but that's ultimately what, what went down. But, um, yeah, they were together. And uh, so I think Stanley, if I remember correctly, well, he worked for the city or the county, and he would be in charge of passing out checks and, you know, uh, whatever. So he had a very, you know, it was an important job. Uh, he could pack, but he many times he chose not to use a gun. He didn't need to. Um but he had he had done bodyguarding work, you know, throughout his life. Uh, he even had some tie-ins with the social uh, secret service, and I know that he apparently trained some FBI guys, probably in the fifties and sixties. Um, so you know, he was a man that you just you just didn't play with. <clears throat> but yeah, this congressional record thing is awesome because. Uh, he was a proud Polish American, well, Polish, but American. Um, and uh, it's, it's awesome that he's recognized. And I believe he may be the only professional wrestler or professional strongman that ever had that happen in the Congress. Yeah, that's probably uh, true because uh, I'm not sure if um... – <clears throat> I've ever, I keep up a lot of history and every, uh, as far as pro wrestling goes, and I'm not aware of any other records out there. Uh, one thing that did catch me is interesting when I was reading um, uh, the piece that uh, Dennis Kucinich uh, put into the congressional record, and I've heard it elsewhere too. Uh, here it says, um, born in Poland in 1908, Raban was a distinct child from his birth, showing off his strength for childhood friends during his youth. And I, and I heard that in other places that even as a child, he was like um, showing off his strength. And I, so when I think about like him becoming a strong man, you see these pictures of him when he was younger and he got this big barrel chest and big arms. 
and you think that he became a strong man through his his training, but it seemed like maybe it was like almost genetic. Like he just had this built-in superpower. He did. And um, two interesting things uh, that are true. There's a lot of stories that are exaggerated, but two of them that are true about Stanley as a child. I guess he bit through a spoon when his teeth started to come in. Okay. He had that, because he ultimately used to do a lot of uh, feats of strength with his mouth. With his teeth, yeah. And another time, I think he was 10 or 12 years old, and he got mad at his dad. He lost his temper, and he lifted his dad up over his head, you know, and threw his dad down. Um, the power, no matter what the father weighs, I did stuff like that. I used to lift people over my head. And it's it's not the poundage. It's, you know... The shifting, it's like lifting uh, when you lifted uh, beer kegs, you know. They were not, the, the weight of the beer keg wasn't the problem. It was that it, it would shift on you and it's hard to get a grip and so on. So, yeah, I truly believe it was genetics, okay? And I don't even know if he himself could explain it. But the one thing he led me on to was no matter where you are physically, you can improve your strength. You can get stronger and stronger. And um, so, you know, he had me do a lot of exercises because, man, believe me, you have no idea how thin I was. You know, I mean, I was malnourished, plain and simple. And, uh, you know, so he helped build me up uh, the, the best that he could. But, yeah, he was a genetic, to me, a genetic freak. And there are people like that that just have – Maybe not even in strength, but like men or women who are born with perfect pitch. Okay, music. Yeah. You know, this is you can train it. I've actually me and one of my accordion teachers used to practice a little bit with the perfect pitch. I had what's called relative pitch, meaning I could tell if it's a minor seventh or a flatted fifth or some shit, but I could never tell you what key it was in. I didn't have perfect pitch. So this is how he was. He he had this thing. Um with the with the absolute uh, freak strength, you know. Um, but here's another thing: uh, weightlifters, and I do believe he lifted weights. Like I think be I think he was like an Olympic style lifter. But weightlifters really didn't have a lot of respect for strong men. Uh, the, the weightlifters back then, because many of those weightlifters knew that a lot of the strongman stunts are rigged. Yeah. Okay. They're, they're showmen. All right. And um, so I'm assuming that he had to go through that. Oh, he's, he's a strong man. And maybe even the wrestling thing. Cause you know, most people that had a brain knew that wrestling was fake, you know, and I know that real amateur wrestlers had a problem with professional wrestling. Even though now some amateur wrestlers crossed over to pro wrestling, that's fine. But so many wrestlers, pro wrestlers, never wrestled, you know, didn't know how. So, um, you know, so it, well, my point is he had a double whammy here of stigma, you know. And I know what that's like because I have the stigma with, with what I do, the catch wrestling. And it's died off somewhat now because, you know, people – thanks to the internet, can see what I do. And, okay, yeah, this stuff, you know, I've trained enough people. 
But before that, it was all jujitsu, jujitsu, jujitsu. Well, now they're realizing, yeah, okay, no, jujitsu, there's more to, to the world. There's, there's other stuff out there. But, you know, um, but yeah, he was uh, just incredible. I mean, just, I've never seen anybody that had that kind of freakish strength. Now, I've met guys who'd have the bench press strength and the powerlifting strength. You know, that's different, okay? And I cannot tell you how much Radon could bench or anything like that because we, we never we just didn't do that stuff. But when it came to functional strength, hand strength, arm strength, even leg strength, you know, lifting up the rear end of his car and shit like that, he did it. And he did it at an advanced age. I witnessed this stuff. So I can't imagine what he did in his 30s or whenever his prime was, you know. So when you see younger pitchers of Stanley, uh, he, he barrel chest, he's got big arms. But if you look at the photos of him when he's in the United States doing strong, strong man uh, uh, feats, uh, it looks like he's he's a lot smaller. Like he's, he's like his chest is still really big, but his arms got really small. So it, it's kind of was the reason why I was asking about, uh, well, when I saw the thing about him having these feats, these abilities as a child, uh, it, w- it seemed interesting to me because I always thought it was interesting that he seemed like, and they're old photos, but he's got like these normal looking arms, but he can bend pipes and. Yeah. Well, let's do, for, for one, he was starved a lot in the concentration camp. So I know we lost weight there, even though later on they supposedly gave him more rations. I don't know, but there were several strong men back then that weren't like Joe Greenstein, the, 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 the mighty Adam was was really small, much smaller than Stanley Rodman, very, very tiny. Uh, you know, and it was a whole different element. You know, they weren't bodybuilders. And I'm not here to say that there were some bodybuilders back then that were damn strong, like, you know, Steve Stanko, who was an Olympic lifter and then became the first Mr. Universe and everything. I mean, that man was, was you know, was strong. But Stanley was strong, as I said, in functional and you're right, he didn't have the mass. Like when I knew him, he he had he was his you had to feel it though. He was his arms were like cords. They were like uh like solid. I mean, just like cords. Everything seemed like bone. Okay. There was no it, he didn't seem weak. You know, there was no weakness in his flesh. And I've met a couple people like that throughout my life that they're smaller guys, but they're they're just they're solid. It's it's it's, and that could be a medical issue. Okay, that there that actually could be there there could be something medical or genetic, you know, that causes that, <clears throat> you know, almost like rigidity. Uh, he was just a guy that I I don't I don't know that anybody could. The only way to beat him up to win would be to sucker punch him or something, somehow try to knock him out because you, you're not going to out-grapple the guy. No, nobody that's I've, I've ever seen would have a chance, would have a prayer. Once he grabbed you and, and got you, that's it. And then uh, one of the most uh, legendary stories about uh, Stanley Rodman that I always, I always get a kick out of, and it's, it's mentioned in the, uh, the Kucinich statement when he passed away in April of uh, 1998 was uh, how he 
uh, pushed over a wall at a at the concentration camp that he was uh, captured and, and placed in. And Paul, did he ever talk about that? Uh, once. And, you know, he did not want to really go into details with it. He just basically, he didn't deny it. But what he was saying is tough times call for tough things, okay? Uh, he, because of his strength and his resiliency, he didn't break. Uh, he was an inspiration to many uh, prisoners uh, or whatever the term, the proper term would be. Um, they, he gave them inspiration to live, to get through this. And several years, well, not, it's more than several years now, maybe 20, 25 years ago, somebody wrote somebody about that, about, hey, I was in a, my grandfather, my father, whoever was in the concentration camp, and he talked about the Polish strongman at Bergen-Belsen that inspired them to continue on. That's, wow. that's impressive. Yep. Yep. So, Tony, how did you get started training with him? I, I know you, you said you had met him, you'd known him from church. Yes. And so, then how, how did that work? Did he just invite you to his house? To- well, okay, I'll tell you the whole story. So 1977 is when I started with him. And as I said, he came in with, with Dennis Kucinich, and I, um, Dennis was the mayor. I don't remember if that was how long he was a mayor, a year or two years maybe, I don't, whatever it was, newly, whatever. Um, but – I was selling, I was by the band, we had a stage, and they had a band playing, and I used to sit in, uh, the band would let me sit in on the drums, you know, a song or something like that. Anyway, but I was next to the bandstand, uh, next to the stage, selling potato chips and pop. And he comes walking straight down the aisle. This is a gymnasium where we used to play basketball, and they held, held bingo. And he should, that's when he shook my hand for the first time. And I dropped to the floor immediately. I mean, I'd literally dropped down. Okay. Cause the, the, it was, it, I never felt anything like it. It felt like your hand got caught in a machine. I mean, it, it was, he was like, a, you know, just, it was a freak thing. And, um, so then we chit chatted. Oh, I heard, cause I had been dabbling Well, I had been boxing, but I had dabbled little bit with martial arts. Um, my one friend, his dad knew something and he showed me a couple things and somebody else in the neighborhood uh, that lived at the street over, uh, Mr. Jennings, uh, showed me a few things. So, you know, he mentioned, that's the first time I knew he was a wrestler. He mentioned about, well, you should learn how to wrestle. If you really want to learn how to fight, you learn how to wrestle. No, I said, I don't want to wrestle. You know, I'm a fighter. You know, that's all I want to do. I, I just want to fight. I don't want to wrestle. Okay. That's my ignorance. Okay. So off the gym, off the gymnasium, they had other little rooms like classrooms. Okay. And I guess at one point back in the fifties, when that school was really popular, they used that as an overflow classroom. Um, so anyhow, he's like, well, why don't you come in the other room here? I want to show you something. I'm like, I'm not going in that room with you. I, there's, I'm not. And then my buddy was with me, you know, peer pressure. What's the matter? Tough, you know. I'm like, okay, all right, all right, whatever. You know, so I walked into the thing. And he looked at me and he had, a, first of all, that cauliflower ear. 
And, uh, you know, he had this big, thick accent. <laughs> and he didn't say it in a, any other way than this. He looks at me and he goes, kick me. <laughs> what? Kick me. Okay, I'm not kicking anybody, right? But again, you know, I was forced. So I throw a, you know, right roundhouse kick. And that man, he caught it and put me immediately in a stopper toe hold. I was screaming before I hit the ground. I'm like, oh, my God, what was that? Oh, my God, my ankle. I can't believe that. Show me, show me. He goes, you don't want to learn to do this. You're a fighter. You don't want to wrestle. Then, you know, he was mocking me. I'm like, man, because I never knew what a submission was. I, you know, you, you might have saw some every so often when you're watching pro wrestling, but they were, you know, like ridiculous. So this was like, you know, an eye opener. And, you know, that's how my indoctrination came. And, you know, then it was just a matter of, but it was still summer, so I could, I had summer vacation. I was able to get to his house on his schedule. Uh, yeah, and he started showing me, well, at first he showed me just a bunch of exercises, um, you know, to do, because I was pretty sickly every year. Now, this is something I want to address, because a lot of people will, will con you, because the internet is full of that bullshit. Well, I used to have bronchitis really bad. And I always miss school. Every year I'd be in the hospital. So I'm not just sitting here telling you that he cured me of bronchitis. I could have just maybe grown out of it. But after I started doing his exercises and the breathing exercises, I never, I never missed school again for bronchitis ever. I never had a problem with bronchitis again. So I can't prove it that it was the breathing exercises, the deep breathing exercises and the uh, physical fitness. But facts are, I never had bronchitis again. But anyway, yeah, so he's trying to tell me that, you know, you, you have to get in shape. You have to be strong. You have to be up here uh, because this is pain. Levels of pain that are unimaginable. And I've said it to you guys many times when you're training with me, the worst pain you'll ever get is in the gym. And that's what he used to say. The worst beatings you'll ever take in your life will be here not on the street. The street will seem simple to you. And, uh, and he was right. Not that I didn't get nervous <clears throat> in the street. And, you know, when you get jumped, you do have stress, but it's a matter of collecting yourself and postponing the stress. You don't, you don't not have it because if you don't have that stress or that fear, then you're there's psychologically you're detached from reality, there's something wrong. So what you do is you try to misplace that, okay? You you take what's in front of you now and you just say, okay, I'll have my dump later with this, my adrenaline dump. And people who are trained, highly trained, can do that. Um, and so I had been through stuff with him, physical pain to the point of crying pain, uh, that I'm like, okay, well, I've been here already. I've crossed this bridge. All right. The only thing that the people on the street is are going to bring into it is multiple assailants, but weapons, you know, knife, ball bats, guns, which obviously he didn't do those things um, to me, uh, you know. But, um, well, Brian, well, Joe to a degree, but Brian was around 
uh, one of my earlier students in Chicago, and Brian knows how rough it, it could have got, it would get there, um, and how I would be. I mellowed a lot through the years, but I was a lot like him when I would yell and scream and just try to get you to do better because you know um, your life is you know in jeopardy if you don't. But the can you talk about that, Tony? About because I remember you telling me one day that when you train with Stanley, there was no tapping out. Like you didn't get to tap out and he would punish you yeah. uh, if uh, he had to let you go because he says he earned the move. So he should get to like inflict pain on you. Well, okay. So first and foremost, yeah. All right. I, I never knew the concept of tapping out. That's just something that, you know, most human beings never knew. Okay. It only got popular with the, I mean, if you did judo or something, you probably knew, but the old adage was, Cry uncle, right? Uncle, 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 right? Well, or you're, you know, so you're screaming, all right, I get, I quit, ow! Um, and tapping out is actually a very bad concept, and I'll get to that later. Um, but anyway, he would, let's say it's a top wrist lock, like okay, just for an example. He wouldn't hurt me, per se, he, he wouldn't injure me, right? But he would crank it, and, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm in that pain world. And his thing was, hey, listen, I earned this. I earned this arm lock. You know, you're not going to tell me when to stop. I'll stop when I choose to stop. So that's not where it ends, okay? So anytime that would happen, if he would have just let go, like everybody does in all the gyms around the country, around the world, you don't really ever appreciate where, you know, what the bullet you just dodged, okay? Because you just don't, you don't, you don't want to hurt each other. So it becomes a fun and game thing, okay? And it should never be fun and games. So what he would do, anytime he would get me in a submission, when he finally let go, I was forced to stand. Now, this is where I'm saying you can't do this nowadays. I was forced to stand up, close my eyes, and spread my legs and my arms out like this, like a, like a scarecrow. And he'd come up to me with my eyes closed, and, I, and he would not just do it quickly. He, I, sometimes I could feel his breath and everything. My heart's going like this now. I'm frightened. What's going to happen here? And I'd get slugged. I'd either get strapped. I'd get paddled. I'd get kicked. I'd, I'd get hit somewhere. I don't know where, and I don't know exactly when. But what does that do? That triggered my adrenaline, and that made me very afraid, okay? That simulates what's lacking in any martial arts school I've ever been to is you don't get that adrenaline, okay? It's, it's play acting, okay? Well, this taught me that every time, if I'm going to get caught in a submission hold, I'm going to have to go through this trauma. And that's exactly what it is. It's trauma. It traumatized me. It truly did. But ultimately, and, and believe me, this wasn't something that I developed the ability to, with, to uh, get out of these submission holds. That took years, okay, because he was so advanced. It, it took a few years before I was able to not, not get tapped anymore. And it was because of this fear of this, oh, my God, what's he going to do? So when it used to be six times a session, it finally got down to where it's like maybe two, two times, and then it became where it, it almost never happened. Okay, and then ultimately it, it got to the point where it never did happen anymore, right? Um, and that was the the biggest, I think, 
Nobody trains like that. I'm the only person that I've ever met that trains like that. So I had a bigger advantage than anybody. So I was able to equate pain, injury, potential, fear, adrenaline with the submission holds. So uh, very, very intense. But it 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 did uh, it it did your place with your mind, you know. It does. I'm not going to sit here and say it, 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 it doesn't. That's why people would say, oh, Tony's psycho. He's, you know, he's violent. He's crazy and shit. Well, no, I've just, I've been where you haven't been. That's all. I've been to the edge, whereas most guys haven't. You know, it's just the play act. It's just the game to, to most players, you know, and that's why, you know, I, I, I'm not a player. So that was tough. <laughs> Plus, you know, just, him grabbing you and you know this you know and we did all the ripping nobody rips you know when we doing all this ripping stuff you know boom bang bing i mean you know it's 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 unbelievable did stanley ever uh talk to you about where he trained um was he a wrestler in poland yeah he did, well yeah he was a wrestler in poland and he toured the world south america i don't know where else uh doing his strongman shows and wrestling and then when he came to cleveland he Tied up with um, Henry Gehrig, Gehring, who was uh, part of the Frank Gotch, the real Gotch, going back to the 1900s. Um, yeah. And he was the world middleweight, world middleweight champion, Gehring, and uh, and showed him all the American hooks and uh, things that very few people uh, knew. Yeah. Uh, and so, I mean, that's why, so through him, I go to the beginning of, of it all. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that puts you in the Frank got, uh, got yeah. lineage. Yeah. That's the, incredible. Uh, I wasn't going to wear that. Yeah. That, that puts me with them. And, uh, well, Cleveland, this is fascinating. Cleveland was like the, one of the capitals of, of wrestling in America because we had the so great, the, yeah. the great Tom Jenkins was from Cleveland while well, a suburb of Cleveland. Um, Youngstown, and then he moved to Cleveland, or right there, and uh, you know, there. So Cleveland and Garing was the world champion, you know, lighter weight. Like, uh, so Cleveland had a, a big. Cleveland was a happening town, man. Uh, back in in you know way back, okay. Um, so yeah, it ties me into that, and and he he told me, Stanley told me things, you know, that a lot of people just don't know i would read books back then and i'm like oh look but they're saying it about this guy how good he was he's like he was not this is bullshit you know uh such and such was not that good they these were performers and i don't want to start besmirching the dead now but believe me just all you need to know is the guys that you probably think were legit probably weren't uh you know there there were some good ones i mean uh ed lewis was good but to, in, a, in a different way than he's probably presented now. Um, but Toots Mott knew a thing or two. Uh, John Pesek, you know, but whether whether Pesek actually beat um, Nat Pendleton and, and hooked him is open for debate. Okay. Um, but, yeah, he taught me how to hurt and how to kill. This, this, is, what, this is what it's all about. Um, because that's how these holds originally, we're going back centuries now, 
these were the, the, the toughest men in on the planet Earth were always wrestling. Okay, there were no judo men, there were no, you know, karate men like that. All right, that didn't exist. Wrestling goes all the way back in history. So when you had kings, emperors, or whatever, they were protected by men who knew how to wrestle. And to be called a wrestler in the fistic and grappling arts, that was the absolute, that's like in a religious world, being called a saint or a god. Being a wrestler was, that was the pinnacle. There was no one tougher. So, uh, yeah, and through the years, naturally, things get watered down. They get removed uh, because of injuries and this and that. And they made it a sport, amateur wrestling, uh, judo too. And, you know, um, even the jujitsu tournaments, they, they try to take out all the stuff that can kill you or really permanently mess you up. But that's the other thing that we need to talk about. Like what Lou says with the hooking. And, you know, when you hook, back in those days, there was no arthroscopic surgery. There was no knee replacements, okay? There were no hip replacements. You get crippled, you're, you're crippled. You potentially could be crippled for the rest of your life. You could never recover from these injuries. Like I never got this bicep reattached. You know, it's probably too late now. So you're crippled forever. And that was the the importance of these holds. And that's why most wrestlers didn't know them. You didn't really need to know them. You knew how to do it in a, in a performance way where you had a safety valve where you could get out in case your opponent tried to double cross you and go live. All right? A real hook, you're, you, there's no escape valve. You're not going to tap. You're not going to tap out. You're not going. It's not going to take two or three seconds. It's instant. So the best way that I could demonstrate this would be: imagine if somebody throws a punch like this, nice and slow, so you know, okay, if I have to, I can block it. Whereas a real, real punch is like that. You're not going to block it. It's too fast. That's how these hooks are. You know, you put these holes on your full blast instantly. You control the situation 100% not playing around and taking forever to tap a guy out or gradually applying pressure, you don't. So uh, that's the history of it. And, you know, it, it's, it's, it's really interesting. You know, um, the body can only move in certain ways. And you have to know every way the body can move. And therefore, you take it the other way. In order to destruct... You have to know how to construct. So you really, I really had to study physiology and, and anatomy to, to learn how to do things uh, at, at, you know, precisely. Joe brought up an interesting thing a few years ago. How I tell, you know, to twist everything. If you don't twist, you don't know what you're doing, right? You're not a catch wrestler the right way. You're a showman. Joe found out something regarding what was it spaghetti noodles or something like that. You want to discuss that? Yeah, I just was on the actually I know Andre's an NPR nerd. I was listening to uh they they brought up they're talking about a study uh and you know I don't know it was like undergrad or something but it was just they were trying to find the most efficient way to uh break spaghetti into because normally if you're going to break it and put it in the the, the pot normally spaghetti if you tried it it flexes 
and then quite often it'll shatter. So you'll get a lot of shards everywhere. And so, um, you know, the students, they do a lot of exercises like this where they like drop eggs and other things. So they were doing this thing with spaghetti and they found out, oh, you know what you do is you take a bundle of spaghetti and you twist it before you try and snap it. Cause that takes all the play out of the, the dry spaghetti. And then it just cracks right in half. And I mean, it was like the light bulb went off for me right away. It was the, the best way to take a play out of something. And you've talked about, I mean, it's, this goes into other things, but you're always twisting and turning things, putting it in an unnatural position. So you're taking, and it all, yeah, it, and it's it, clearly back in the day, someone figured this out with locks that you're going to do it, but it's the exact same principle. And that's why that forearm that, you know, you, you can't understand how in a double wrist lock, uh, when you're standing on the feet, how it feels like, you know, like you said, it's like in a machine, like it's going to shatter. It's, well, it's because that, even something as strong as the bone, when you take all that play out of it, it's, it's the same, same principle at work there. Yeah, and that's why people think that I'm strong. Well, I was strong, but I was not, you know, it wasn't my physical strength. I'm making you weak because I'm putting your body unnaturally. That's the, that's the trick to really being a great fighter, a great submission guy, is putting you unnatural, making you weak. Otherwise, like now, a lot of submissions don't work because people are able to muscle out. And the sad part is, they should muscle out. Do it. Muscle out all you want. When you're, when you're in a gym and the coach, no, 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 you use muscle. You shouldn't use that. You know, you need to learn technique. No. Because if you attempt, see, that's just a, that's a coach trying to save face. Because if you get into a self-defense situation against someone on the street, they probably don't know what you know. If you can't stop somebody from muscling out, you're the one who's got the problem, okay? You don't have good technique, period. What am I supposed to do? Go up against some jacked up dude and he powers out of something and I'm supposed to say, now, wait a minute, wait a minute, this is a street fight. Uh, let's do this again, but now use some technique to get out of it. You know, maybe that would work. Maybe he'd laugh so friggin' hard he wouldn't want to fight anymore. But when I see coaches doing this, I'm like, this is a fraudulent coach, this is a guy that just is covering his ass because his techniques don't work. Okay. And that just infuriates me because they're, they're frauds. They're absolute complete frauds because they may not be even intentionally doing it. This is just how they were taught and they were taught improperly. If a guy can power out, then you did something wrong. You need to get back there again and try to put the lock on. So the guy can't power out. Okay. So when you weaken the person, there's no more powering out, okay? You've seen it before when you guys put the top wrist lock on me the proper way. I can't, and I'm twice as strong, and I still can't get out of it because you have it on me right. You, you have me nailed it across, man. So if Imagine you, being in a fight and somebody huh? say, imagine being in a fight and someone powering out and being like, hey, hey, wait, wait, you can't, you can't power out. You, you have to use your technique. Right. I'm going to put you back in the hole. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, right. And, you know, uh, and no, you do have to learn technique. You, you, you want to know how to get out of holes. Eventually you do. So I don't want that to be misconstrued. But anytime, if somebody can power out, that's great. Because now that you should be happy that they powered out because now it exposed the weakness on your part. It showed you that, hey, mate, wait a minute, my technique isn't really right here, doing something wrong. Okay. And there will come a point in time where the strength disparate, the, the discrepancies here um, could be too much to overcome. So that's where you have to look at 
other weaknesses on the person, okay? Uh, look at maybe his, see, when I size, anytime I see somebody walk in, wherever I'm at, I look at two things, or three things right away. I look at the size of his neck, I look at his wrist, and I try to look at his ankles. And it's easier to do in the summertime because, you know, guys wear shorts and everything. So I want to look at their bone structure, okay? I want to see, is this guy a hefty kind of guy? Like, you know, like a farm boy kind of guy, you know, big, strong, and so on. So now you have to start looking at it. Let's say you run into somebody that might present themselves as almost impenetrable. That's where you look at the small joints, the wrist, the fingers, the eyeballs. Go for the actual throat. Try to go for the neck if you can. Um, go for the ears, you know, fish hook, ripping, groin. These are things that you do. These are the access points you need to go for to soften the guy up, okay? Uh, and, and, then, and then you can apply your, your, uh, your Sunday hold, okay? Um, and so many people just don't, they don't look at things like that. And, and that's okay in the sporting world because you're normally paired up by size and experience level. So they try to balance everything out. So that's kind of taken out of play. But, you know, it's, like I said, man, there's just a lot of shit out there, man. I'm glad I did what, I'm glad I learned from who I learned from and nobody else. If I couldn't have learned from him in hindsight, I wouldn't have learned at all. I would have done something completely out of this realm. Um, and I mean that wholeheartedly. And when you get a guy like, let's say, Lou Thez. Now, Lou, amazing man, right? Russ, he was totally different than um, Stanley, okay? Lou didn't possess that kind of strength. But Lou was quick. And I've never seen Stanley in his prime. But I'm sure that Lou, I'll give Lou the benefit of the doubt that, that Lou was, was quicker. So, you know, he, he would approach things, you know, in, in a different way. I probably was somewhere between Lou, my style, between Lou and Stanley, where, you know, I had a lot of speed. I had good strength, um, you know, but I I had a, a bigger, like, arsenal, I guess, with the striking and everything and the heavy rips, um, you know, so I had, like, a vocabulary that I could draw from, but that's only because my training was geared around that. Lou was a pro wrestler. Lou learned what he needed to learn to protect himself at all times and become a great in-ring wrestler was, I never had that. I never wanted that. I was never going to be a professional wrestler. So I just wanted to learn how to fight. And that's, that's it. You know, I did not have dreams of being the world's wrestling champion. I had dreams of being the world's toughest man. That, that's where I was coming. So different, you know, different things. So let's let's step through the training. I think a lot of people are probably curious. I know you've talked about this somewhat, but so there's you said it, it was the first few months or several months he was just conditioning you, trying to build up a base for you. And were you training like two three times a week on average, or you know? Then probably yeah, um, two to three times a week then. Um, but I would train and I would do the exercises every day. Remember now, I wasn't this wasn't a bodybuilding thing here. Uh, this was calisthenic-oriented breathing exercises, um, stretches, and overall general conditioning. Um, I had done boxing, so I had a different type of – I had aerobic conditioning. This was anaerobic, okay, and this was strength-oriented. Um, there was some overlap, 
you know, naturally like neck bridges, uh, ab work. Um, the ab work was more intense with boxing, probably, I would say, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, I did a lot of, lot of uh, push-ups. I had a very weak upper body. My upper body was really, really weak. It, it's, it's, I mean, it, it, that's why I had to work hard at it, you know, to, to overcome it. I did not have this natural strength like he did or, or, or others. You know, I, I knew other kids that were just frigging strong. I was just luckily born fast. I was quick. I was always the fastest guy in, in you know, in my grade, in, you know, when I played baseball, everything, football, anything. I had that going for me. Now, I'm not a world record holder. I didn't have that kind of speed, but, you know, just fast enough. So I did a lot of that. Uh, uh, push-ups, different types of push-ups, hand positionings being different, you know, um, just working all sorts of things. Um, the, uh, the squats, you know, uh, the free squats and one-legged squats and the uh, squat thrusts uh burpees um the uh then the sit outs and hip heists uh you know learning how to move as a wrestler uh those things were all mandatory that that wasn't optional that you had to do more more than that more that than even uh you know like submissions because submissions don't mean a damn thing if you can't get the hold okay i mean what good is it Okay, you can learn all the submissions and end up being a demonstrator of holds. That's it. But you got to be able to spring the trap. And you got to have that conditioning to do it. You have to have that explosiveness and you have to have your body just right. And that's another big flaw I see with people on the feet and on the ground. <clears throat> They're out of position. Okay. So when an opening presents itself, you got to marshal your forces. Your arms may be all over the place. Now you got to get them all together and make your move. It takes too long. Okay. You have to be ready to strike, to go after that. When I say strike, I don't mean punch, but I mean apply whatever move it is then instantly. This stuff happens in real time and it's quick. So that was the big thing. So doing these exercises in different positions, like the push ups. Part of it was to develop strength, but part of it was also to teach me how to keep my body just right. You know, like even this, see, my arms aren't, aren't way out. You know, here my elbows are in, you know, here they're out, but now I'm, but I'm close to the chest, you know, where I can make my moves. So a, a lot of this has, has to do with uh, getting your body acclimated to being unified. So at a certain point, it transitions, though, like he, he feels you've crossed a level and he's like, OK, does he does he do a formal thing or does he's like, OK, now I'm going to sh- let's do something different today. And, and like are you, you you said, you're either like working out kind of in his living room or in the backyard, depending on. Yeah, the weather. Basement, yeah, wherever. yeah, because we didn't have a gym, you know. So this is another thing where people bitch today. Oh, the gyms, this and that. Don't complain, man. Be Just go. Just work out. Okay, uh, it would be like a musician saying, I'm not going to practice in a tiny little studio. I want to be on a stage somewhere. No, musicians don't do that. Musicians practice in their bedrooms or wherever, right? You should do, do that too. As long as you're not damaging things, 
you know, getting a lesson, it's, it's the lesson that's important, okay? Quit making excuses and quit being so, uh, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, uh, prissy about it. You know, things have got to be just such and such a way. As long as it's clean and you're not going to catch anything, you know, like ringworm or what have you. Yeah. So what did you, what, you, what, what you know, the first martial art lesson I ever got was in my, like, like a dining room area of my house. Well, my friend, we had a sleepover or a, not a sleepover, a snow day. And my friend came over with his dad. I didn't know he was bringing his dad, but the weather was so bad. His dad didn't go to work. And he says, well, you know, you're Frankie's best friend. I'm going to teach you some, you know, martial arts. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> we just moved the table out of the way or the chair. And there we go. So that was the same with him. I wasn't expecting anything elaborate. But, you know, he didn't go to Mount Olympus and say, okay, gods of wrestling, Tony's ready to learn hooks. No. He just decided whenever the time was right in his mind, okay, I think you're kind of ready. You know, um, and it wasn't like he was putting me through some sort of a loyalty test. It wasn't that at all. He made it perfectly clear that I would get hurt, injured, if my body wasn't ready for this. I was not, a, you know, I wasn't a healthy kid, okay? So I had to get healthy or in shape a little bit so my body could bounce back from this. It doesn't do you any good to mess me up so bad that now I missed two weeks. Now I can't go because, oh, man, I'm in so much pain and I, on my joints. And no. So what he did was was not by any stretch of the imagination a mind game with that. It, it was, you know, you got to be in shape. So that's what I try to tell my students through the years. In order to pull this stuff off and in order to become the best in the world, you've got to do tens of thousands of reps over and over and over. And they have to do each one properly. And you have to have the condition to do that. You have to be in condition to do that. It doesn't do you any good if you're gassing out after three or four minutes or your 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 technique falls apart. So, um, but by the same token, there's a lot of conditioning exercises that people do that are damaging, that are not necessary. They have, they have no application towards fighting at all. They're more like strongman stuff or try, you know, some crazy thing. You don't need that. Um, flipping tires and shit, you don't need to do that um, or whatever. I'm just using that. You, you got my point. There's certain things you don't need to do. You need to focus on techniques that are going to be completely applicable for, for the style of fighting that you're doing. Um, and everything that I learned, and then, of course, years go by, and I, I put my own uh, stuff, and I develop my own thing, because that's part of it. Like being a songwriter, you know, every songwriter that ever lived didn't learn all his songs from his teacher. They create, and that's what Radvan taught me, uh, the science behind all of this, so I can create, and I can do my thing, and put my own touch or my own uh, style. And that's what I try to do with my Tri-C program. People who enroll in that, I, I want to make them learn enough so they can create their own style too that'll fit for them. Tony, well, how long was an average like training day with, with Rodvon? Did... A couple, couple hours normally, you know, a couple hours. Sometimes Sometimes longer, sometimes a little bit less. It would depend on, you know, that this guy was doing this 
not as a profession, you know. So it wasn't like a gym where, you know, you have set times. But yeah, I would it would it would it would be at least that. And um it you know, it took me a long time to get there. You know, I used to have to take at least two always at least two buses, sometimes three. The third bus was optional. The third bus was like on St. right off of St. Clair Avenue. If I would catch it, I would hop on it and it would save me like 10 blocks or whatever of walks of walking. But the other two, yeah, I had to get downtown then I had to get out to Fleet Avenue and then walk to his house. And, uh, you know, so this is before I drove. Um, so this is another reason why I don't put up with people who like say that now, like where I live now, that it's too far to drive. It's too far to go train with you. Unacceptable. Unacceptable. Jerry Sigler, my accordion teacher, when he was like 17, once a month he would take a Greyhound from Cleveland, Ohio to Chicago. And then from Chicago, he'd have to get from Chicago to Skokie to study the accordion with the great Leon Sash. Sammy Capero would fly from Chicago to L.A., take a cab from L.A. to Beverly Hills for a lesson with the great Tommy Gamina, and then fly back the same night. Imagine how much that cost because they wanted the, the lessons from these people. So I went through it, and that's why, like I say, it's very unacceptable to me when people complain, oh, you're too far. No, you know what? I'm not. You know, there's people that come from all over the world to train with me. Imagine th that. Those are the guys I give credit to. Um, you know, they'll fly in from wherever. Even you, Nico, you look how far you live, and you were still coming out here because you, you cared. You were, you know. So, yeah, I uh, – there's a lot of excuses. Everybody has them, you know. And I'm just as guilty as others. I've made excuses in my life why not to do things or something. But when it when it when if it's something that you really want, there should be no excuse. You should, you know, as long as – the only excuse would be is if I said I can't teach you, well, all right, then you can't learn from me. But yeah, we there was times too, Nico, where I'd show up and we couldn't work out because I had to help him with something. I, that's part of it. But that's what I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you: was it, was it kind of like Mr. Miyagi, where he'd make you uh, paint his deck and do work yeah, around the house too? Well, I mean, I'd help the guy now and then. I mean, but that's not a Mr. Miyagi thing. You guys, you guys would help me. Look at that time when 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 you know Mr. Einstein over there put his foot through my wall. You came over and and. Uh, you know, you patched it up with the drywall for me, okay? Um, that's just how it goes. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, that's just common courtesy. It's not a Miyagi thing. Uh, but I'm like that with my accordion teachers. You know, I help them move, one of them move, this and that. I'm like that. You know, um, Andre's like that. Andre's helped me out, you know, and he, and he lives halfway across the, the country. You know, um, it's just about respect, w wouldn't you? I mean, I wouldn't train with somebody that I don't respect or don't like. Uh, so, yeah, if somebody needs help, I'll help. So, uh, but, yeah, but mo most of the time it was work, work, work out, work, work out, work out. Or, you know, I'd be doing my exercises and he'd be doing something. And, excuse me, and then when it came time to, okay, we're going to work on this. You know, then, okay, then it was him. There were times when I didn't want him to even work out with me, man. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm not in the mood today. I don't feel good. <laughs> He's busy. Make make some pierogies. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 
Um, Did you ever stay for dinner with him? Um, like stay overnight? No, I never. No, stayed. not overnight. Just like you guys ever hang out and you know just do something aside from training. Um, I mean, then yeah, I mean, I've had something to eat now and not always. You know, now now and then. Um, my grandparents were very. I didn't eat at home. This, this is this. How can I say it? They were funny, not like comical funny, but like no charity, you know, don't, <clears throat> you don't eat his food. You got food at the house, even though it was hardly anything. I, I, mean, I was so friggin' skinny that, I, you know, I had it, they reported me at school. I had to go see a, a doctor about this. I was literally malnourished, but that's how they were. You know, my grandparents were old school, man. You know, um, they, uh, so I did it once in a blue moon. But yeah, I had I'd have to come home and you know have whatever. It was it was it was hard. It was it's tough. It was it was not like people think. You know, times are different now. You know, now you have soccer moms and dads that are they they go to every game. They this and that. And I didn't. You know, we our it, that wasn't how our world was. Not just for me, but for any of my contemporaries. When we played sports, it was rare that. The, the parents showed up or something like that. Very rare. You know, now it's different. Times are different. So back then, yeah, it was just, it was a struggle for me to many times get to where I needed to go. But um, there was public transportation, man. I used to, I used to live on the bus. <laughs> you know, I used to take the bus almost everywhere. And before I drove. You know, you touched on things on something a, a little while ago that I was kind of curious about. Uh, you kind of mentioned that he had you start with some exercises and maybe he'd kind of go about his business. Was there a kind of structure to the workouts at a certain point? Once you were, had advanced to the point where it's like, okay, now you're learning that he, you know, like maybe there was a, a calisthenic or warm up period for 30 minutes. And then, you know, like when I think of a, clearly it's not a, like a formal class, but did he have a way about teaching? And And then also like, you know, was it like, okay, now you and I are going to uh, roll for a little bit, or, or I don't, I'm sure he wouldn't call it that, but, oh, he didn't uh, call it that. but, you know, or whatever. He's like, you're, you're, you know, I'm going to put you in this position and you need to get out. We're going to drill this for yeah. some amount of times, you know, because granted, I mean, the guy's in his seventies. So, you know, is he, you know, is he, is he drilling takedowns? So I guess I'm trying to like get more of a, a, a clearer picture of this, the things that were going on. Exactly. So we, he, he would have some sort of a structure, uh, doing my shots and you know just showing not like penetration steps because um they didn't do that it was just like um change you know grab lift throw you know that kind of stuff the the technique of it and uh so i i would have to show them that we work on a few of the basic takedowns or throws whatever you want to call it and then chain right away into a submission and he would sometimes like when he would fall he would expose something intentionally an arm a leg maybe his neck or to for me to visualize and go for it once i you know learned the submissions the submissions were very structured um arm bars arm bars arm bars neck cranks neck cranks neck cranks chokes 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 leg locks leg locks leg locks hours 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 and and then um the first 
submission I ever learned, of course, I told you, was a top wrist lock. That's why I, I became good. That was my favorite move. Too much, to, to the point where I was relying on it. And then he made me, we're going to stop this. You're going to do for one year, you're going to do three months of arm bars, anyone possible. Three, then three months of leg locks. And then three months of neck manipulations, neck cranks, jokes. And then three months of everything else and you... And even then, when I would be, let's say the armbar period, and we were wrestling, if I saw the leg, the leg lock, I would have to say chin lock, or uh, uh, you know side choke. You know, I didn't go for it, but I had to say it. I had to enunciate it. So at least he saw that he knew that I saw the openings, even though I had to focus on getting these armbars. And that's difficult. That I think my 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 ability is so. Because the guy knows what you're going for. He may not know what hold, like not like top wrist lock. But you only have so many arm bars, right? So you get 50. So I had to learn to be very creative in entering into arm bars and leg locks and then choke holds and you know neck cranks and so on. And we spent, like I said, the bulk, the the, the bulk of all of that. He got to the point where he trusted me with my conditioning. He knew that I was doing them. I wasn't doing them, most of them there anymore. He knew that I could do them at my house. And every so often he'd ask me, you know, give me, give me, you know, 50 push-ups or whatever it was in such a, you know, you know, position two. Okay. So I'm doing them. So he knew that I was keeping it up. It's a trust system there, but we would focus almost the whole session on the, the techniques that we were working up to. Um, and then there was the live wrestling and that's where you know that's where the, the fear came in because of his great physical strength and if he got me in something I told you I'd have to stand like this and bam 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 uh, I did not like that I did not like that and then you know years later uh, he did something to me which I, I don't feel like discussing publicly um, that almost made me quit Okay. As a matter of fact, I thought I was going to quit. I said, no, nope, I don't need this bullshit anymore. And, but you know, cooler heads prevailed. He was doing it for my benefit. He thought I was getting a little full of myself, you know? Um, and uh, he was a very difficult man in a lot of ways. Uh, my humor, because I was a smart ass. I was always like a practical joker and shit like that. Smart Alec, class clown, and, you know that that wasn't happening with him. Okay, but even so, sometimes I'd say something smart, you know, like sarcastic, and he didn't like it. You know, so it it was it was never a warm kind of thing, but I was used. That's all I've ever known. I didn't have a family. My, I had a very bad, you know, my grandfather was messed up and very mean. So this was almost like, well, this is how it is with everybody. I never knew, you know, that loving kind of nurturing shit that everybody wants nowadays. That's a foreign entity to me. That was very foreign to me. I never really had that. And, you know, Tony, if I could chime in, Andre, do we have some feedback? Maybe if you're muted, I don't know. I'm getting some kind of background sound. Um, 
Yeah, and and kind of discussing the parallels from definitely not to the degree that you you came up under Rod Von, but I remember back you know early training with you, hearing some of the same themes of you know conditioning is important, um, you know doing the Hindu squats and obviously a lot of strength training, um, and even times where you know I remember you specifically saying you know you need to just develop your wrestling. It's just don't even think about submissions for the next few months. And there were times where obviously if somebody came in from out of town, we would, we would, we would do that. But um, just the idea of you have to kind of shelve certain things to focus on this and build that back up and you can reintroduce those other elements. Um, So, and then obviously just the, uh, you know, that aggressive attitude toward, toward training. So um, so it's really refreshing to hear these things, I guess, you know, just from, Kind of seeing the the next iteration and the generation that you you know you try to cultivate. You you were there for it, you know, unlike others that weren't. Uh, and yeah, it, it see here's the thing. It's like, what's your rush? You know, or how can I word this? Because I want to get this out right. There's certain people that don't really want to put in the time and effort. They just want to be able to say they trained with me or whomever. But we'll use me in this example. But my point is, you cannot learn everything that I know in a month. So when I tell you, shelve the, the, the submissions for a while, work on your wrestling, that's because this is an open-ended training thing. I don't expect you to, like, quit in three months. I expect you to never quit, really, in essence. I expect you to continue to learn until the day you die, all right? That's how it should be. So... I'm not looking at the clock, so to speak. If I tell you, don't work on your arm, bar, or later, let, forget the submissions for a while. You have to work on your basic wrestling skills. I mean that. You know, your submissions are going to do you no good if you, if you can't control the situation. So, you know, I've, I've always been about controlling the situation. And the only way to control it is, is be, I got to be able to dominate this guy. And when I go up against somebody who's, you know, heavier or stronger, well, then I'm going to have to use my speed. If I go up against somebody who's smaller and quicker, well, then I'm going to have to use my size. You know, I, I got to be flexible like this. And that's why I have to have a repertoire. And that's what I want you guys to have, that repertoire of, of stuff. Um, and a lot of it isn't submissions. And even wrestling, some of it's just it strikes and shit too. You know, this is so important. I saw a clip the other day, or maybe it was a week ago, of some MMA guy getting knocked out and you know out cold because again, he didn't he didn't know what he was doing. He has hands way down and boom, he gets clobbered. When you wrestle, you may not get clobbered. Let's say if you're not using strikes, but if you wrestle similar to that where you're exposing shit, that's no good. So that's why you're wrestling. It has to be modified even from amateur wrestling because straight amateur wrestlers expose a lot of things. They're open to leg lock, arm bars, neck cranks, or chokes, you know, neck manipulations. So you, you have to learn to wrestle in a different way, almost like a turtle type of wrestling where you're, you're constantly in some sort of a shell. You know, in a, it, it's, it's, it's not being taught. You know, everybody's so interested in, you know, rest or submissions, or I'll just I'll wrestle and I'll add submissions to my wrestling. No, that's not that's not the way to do it. Okay, it's like building a car. If you have a car, and all of a sudden 
You put in a 750 horsepower motor thinking that's all you need. You're wrong because you have to have the transmission. You have to have that torque converter. You have to have the strong drive shaft. You have to have the uh, rear end, the differential, if it's a rear wheel drive vehicle, that all has to be beefed up. You have to have the right tires so all of this can hook up so you're not just sitting there spinning your wheels. This is how you have to learn about fighting. You can't just add things. Like, oh, I had all these submissions. No, the rest of your wrestling, the rest of your chassis, like the automobile, is weak. You have to build balanced. And I, I just, even at the highest levels, I still see people who are so unbalanced. And, it, it, and, and I can see that they love what they're doing. And they have so much skill. But the coaching behind them is lacking. They're unbalanced. They could do it if they had the right coaching to say, all right, stop this shit for a while. Work on your weaknesses here. And that's what I wanted you guys to do. Maybe not be the flashiest guys in the world, but be rock solid, okay? And, you know, that's the goal here, to protect you enough, you know, to uh, then you can start tacking on a few things. That's just, I get, you know how seriously I take this stuff. I love this. Um, but it, it's so frustrating, you know, when I when I see guys who and girls who have all the ability in the world, the love, the heart, they, they have it all, but they're wasting their time because, you know, the coaching isn't there. They're being misguided. And they have so many flaws that they don't they shouldn't have. You know. You 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 get my point? Yeah, absolutely. I mean that's that's been the I mean, going back 20 years at this point, plus, you know, people wanted to come and learn, learn the compound holds or the, you know, the, the catch wrestling holds. And that's kind of just, I'd say a general flawed approach, probably in cross training in general is, you know, they go to a boxing coach because they want to learn mechanics for a proper right cross. But why don't you learn the condition? Why don't you learn the, the defensive moves? Why don't you learn the footwork? I mean, you need to adopt, you know, and, and, and delve into those elements to understand boxing, to be able to execute you know, that right cross. And so the same with obviously wrestling on the feet or catch wrestling, it's people just want to extract and, and try to augment their overall approach, which there's, I'm sure some uh, benefit to that too, depending on the person's background. But um, yeah, it, it takes a certain, I would say a certain amount of um, willingness to, to really take an all encompassing delving approach into something and really learning it and getting benefit that way. And yeah, a lot of people don't take it that way. No, they don't. They want they want everything in a, in a hurry, and then they wonder why nothing works because, you know, it 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 isn't like that. Okay, um, you're remodeling is what you're doing. You're reconstructing yourself from the ground up, and you know, as a coach, I have to get to know your body and know you and see see where all your flaws are for one. But I, I've got to reach you up here and then make the mind-body connection. Some people are quicker than others, right? Uh, some other people, it takes them a little bit longer to grasp it. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I'm not a miracle worker. No one is. But I remember, and I'm not mentioning names, but there was some martial art guy who was charging, I believe it was $10,000 for one month training. And you would get your blue belt. Okay. One month, 10 grand, blue belt. Come on here. I mean, 
that's even forget the 10 grand one month blue belt you life doesn't go like that okay um everyone is different there is so much to cover there i mean really that it you know i when people join to try or ask about joining the tri c program how long will it take me you know, first thing they ask i don't like that but i'll say maybe three years two to three years i'll tell them that but in essence you don't know it depends on how hard they want to try you know and are they willing to listen and are they willing to do things that they can't go down to the gym and show off right oh look at this crazy tony's got me all twisted up look at that. no that's not you're not going to get that right away okay you're going to learn stuff like you know what tony showed me today what well instead of going like this he taught me to go like this to come in that's the kind of shit you're going to have to learn okay not extending your elbows moving in keeping everything tight you know keeping your hands up and keeping the chin down you know this is golden stuff uh but everybody wants i shouldn't say everybody but so many people want to see the show me something new show me something i've never seen before it's it's frustrating you sometimes can't get through to those types of people it's like people who think that Joe Joe Cardinal actually looks good now. No, we don't. You know that he doesn't. But there's going to be people that go, that are going to think so. And how do you get through to those people? You don't. I rest my case. So Tony, did you did uh you and Rodvan ever train in a, in a different setting, or was it always at his place? Oh, pretty did much you, always. Did you ever bring people with you? Like, I did. A friend come with you? I did. I did a few times later. Yeah, absolutely. But they didn't want no part of this. You know, you got to understand again, if it was nowadays, they'd probably, probably be jumping at it. But this is in the late 70s, early 80s, where it was still lingering Bruce Lee. Chuck Norris and the beginning of um, what's the other guy? Uh, Jackie Chan. Okay. Martial arts. Not what I, not what I was doing. That didn't interest anybody. That was, I can't fault them for that because I wasn't interested in it in the beginning. I didn't, I didn't think this shit was any good. I didn't know. I didn't know what I had. I'm like, Jesus, man, I'm over here standing on my head, doing deep breathing exercises, and I'm bending over and breathing, and I'm doing crazy push-ups, and then, then I'm twisting arms, and I'm thinking, okay, but, 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 you know, um, and then once I started actually using it for real, then I realized what I had. I had lightning in a bottle here, man, but, but my friends did it mainly to just do it for me, and then we could take off. Can I, can I ask a question? Actually, Andre, since you're not always with us, um, did you, you know, with your going back to your pro wrestling and, and training, have you seen varying levels of interest from the public based on how maybe popular the, uh, you know, pro wrestling entertainment has been? I'm just curious. I mean, you started obviously in that game a long time ago, and it's 10 years ago, 20 years ago at this point, modern day, very big, but. You know, I, I, really was expecting there to be kind of a resurgence and like and i think there has been in some way 
and that may be because of the influence of MMA and UFC and all that. I could tell you that um, when I was starting to uh, introduce Tony to uh, the wrestlers in, in, in Los Angeles and mainly the younger ones who only ever grew up watching like modern wrestling from like the 2000 era, uh, they were really intrigued by it and to the point where we were bringing Tony out to, to teach these guys. And uh, for a while, even at the wrestling shows, we had fans who were like, had catch wrestling and Tony on his, on their lips all the time. And uh, we ended up closing down because I had to get busy and go back to work. But um, yeah, I think that there, uh, and when I kind of talked with this about Tony before, I think there is a, a would be a, a, a strong interest of people understood what cat wrestling was and uh its value and um uh, for me my 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 initial interest in in cat wrestling was like to historically understand the business that i love so much so um when i started reading the books and, and trying to get educated on uh the old-time wrestling uh that was because i love wrestling the history of wrestling and then that brought me to wanting to understand it mechanically, not just to go in there and be able to do a body slam or, you know, put on a good match, but to be able to um, uh, understand this piece of history, not just to read it through the books, but actually be able to get on the map, somebody, Tony, the, the last living hooker, and be able to learn the mechanics of uh, what it was that made wrestling so unique and in a time where it was very different, where you actually had to be able to, uh, beat someone on the mat to really be taken seriously in the industry. Yeah, I, I miss those days out there. It was nice. Um, I come from a – so, like, if I want to really learn to speak English, I don't need to learn to speak Spanish. What I mean by that is I don't need to learn another grappling style. Some people choose to study other things. Well – what I know, what I've learned is so complete in, as far as the grappling aspect. I go outside of the grappling for, you know, obviously the strikes, boxing, whatever else. Um, and that's all I do is I'm single focused. I don't need jujitsu. I don't need judo. I don't need hapkido. I don't need anything else. That's taking time away from catch wrestling, okay? And it's going to hurt you more than it's going to help you. Where people get mixed up is, and I'm not saying don't watch a jiu-jitsu guy or a judo guy. Appreciate them for the style or, or whatever it is that they're doing. But it's like a musician, okay? If you're a jazz musician, you should know all your scales, theory, chords, everything. So when you're jamming with somebody, they may come up with a creative idea that you like. Oh, I like that lick that he played. I'm going to incorporate that. Or I like the rhythm that that drummer laid down, that little that little Steve Gadd kind of funk beat or Bernard Purdy beat. I'm going to use that, right? That's how you should approach this, okay? But if somebody's spending years getting black belts here, there, whatever, that's not, to me, the way to do it. What I know, you'll be able to handle yourself against any grappler that ever lived or ever will live. But if you want to go and get – you saw some judo guy do something awesome, then go learn that little thing for the judo guy or watch it or, you know, figure that out. So you can, you can take little stylistic things. Um, but believe me, when you look at 
boxers, and I don't pick a name. The, anybody, Sugar Ray Robinson, you name it. Sugar Ray Robinson became the greatest boxer, maybe of all time, by just boxing. He didn't go to Thailand. He didn't go to Manila. He boxed, and he became the best maybe of all time at that. And I think this is a lesson that's lost on so many people that they may not may be making the progress in the style they're doing. So they'll either go to another style, another teacher, when really the problem might just lie in you, or there may be a disconnect between you and your instructor. But, you know, it, it just, I, I really look at things differently than most people. And I don't expect everybody to agree with the way I think. But I'm well-rounded enough and I've been with the best in the world at in several different like music and everything. And I picked their brains on how did they get so great. And it, you know, it it's not by dabbling. It's by diving so deep that they, they didn't even want to come up for a breath of air. Hours and hours and hours and hours of practice three, four, five, six hours a day. And even with the wrestling shit, you know, I was drilling in my mind, vis creative, you know, visualizing and creating scenarios while driving a car, while riding the bus, while walking down the street. I still do that. My brain is on it constantly. Same with the music, you know, and, and I put the music to the side for many years. I'm trying to play the drums again. And, um, you know, uh, it, 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 I'm starting at the basement, but I know what it what it takes. I don't need 30 different drum instruction books, all right? I know what I need to practice on. So that's what I want everybody out there that's listening is, you know, don't expect miracles. Work on the foundations of your stuff. You don't need seven different martial art friggin' black belts or certificates or whatever, okay? Just focus and become the best, the absolute master of, of, of the style that you're dealing with. I don't care what the style is. You know, you should become world-renowned in, in that style as opposed to just shooting for a black belt, let's say, that's a dime a dozen, you know. Um, I got to sign off, guys. Um, yeah. I'll look forward to hearing the rest on the broadcast. So okay. thanks. You're, you're, you're looking good. But, you know, with me, it's, it's like with the uh, – with, with with drums, all right? I'll go, go to my grave. Buddy Rich was the greatest that ever lived. That's my opinion. But now there's other great drummers, too many to mention, that are great at their thing, okay? That their style, uh, they're, they're just fantastic, all right? Buddy's, it was my mentality. Buddy attacked those drums. He was like a fighter, okay? And, and so I wanted to be Buddy Rich. I wanted to be as good as him. It never happened because Buddy was a Stanley Rodvon. Buddy had some, he was playing drums since he was 18 months old. And he had this natural thing. Everything just was just natural. The guy was never out of position. Um, so I beg everyone out there, man, hunker down with your training. If you choose to train with me, dive into it, but work your ass off. Don't expect something new every day or every week. Just keep on practicing. 
And then the new stuff will come because you'll be doing the move effortlessly. And you'll, you'll, you'll surprise yourself. And then you'll have pride in this. You'll say, man, I, this was hard. I, man, this shit was hard, but I, I spent the hours and hours and weeks and months and whatever, and, and now I got it. But that's a sense of accomplishment, you know. It, it really is. Scratching my head is not an accomplishment. It got rid of the itch, but how hard was that to do? And that's how some that's some of the effort that people put into some of this training. They want it like they don't want to put in the effort. You know, um, you know, I don't know what to say. Tony, what was, uh, I think what you was, said it all, Tony. <laughs> Go ahead, Nico. I'm sorry. I was just gonna say, what was the the like the first time it stands out in your mind that you actually had to use what Rodvon was teaching you in real life? 14 years old. I had been doing it for uh, a little over a year, uh, and I got jumped, and it was. A fascinating thing because before then, every time I got jumped, I had to strike and kick, you know, striking, which is still, you know, really, that should be first and foremost, foremost on everybody's mind when they're in a street fight. So, um, so I was about 14, a little over 14, because it was a little over a year, I think. Uh, and it was the weather conditions. It was probably November or something. It was snow. And it, it I, I just, you know, the kid came at me and I just was able to grab him, throw him, hip throw. And he kind of slipped off. We, you know, it was hard with the footing. But when he landed, he landed on his hands and knees pretty much because um, he slipped off. And I, it was like automatic. I mean, I just, I just went right for the side choke. You don't want to jump on his back and, and roll over because you're on the snow. You, that, that's, you don't ever do that. You don't want to get entangled in a street fight because you may have to abandon this and move. But I, my adrenaline, everything, I slammed that on with a jacket on. I slammed that bulldog choke on, and he was out. I mean, I, I mean, then I took off, you know, uh, before more trouble came. Yeah, that was awesome. And then it's like that was the first time I put somebody asleep. The first time I made somebody unconscious at 14. And it was a real life scenario. So did you did you share that experience with uh Rod Ron after it happened? Oh of course. (laughs) Yeah, and then of course, you know, then I mean you would think, oh good job, I'm proud of you. No. He goes, then what? I said, Well then I took off. Right, you just let him. You didn't go after his leg. You didn't break his arm. <laughs> you know, right. I mean, I got chastised for not, you know, for not, you know, uh, brutalizing it. You know, but see, this is the thing. Because he said, now you know, you know, he's going to keep looking for you because he don't even know what happened. You put him to sleep. You should keep him awake so they can feel the pain. And he, you know, he had his point, you know, but I don't. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, I, I mean, yeah, that was the first time. Um, well, I'm assuming the guy never came back for more, though. He did He did not, know, but, no. But, I mean, no. I've, I've had, I got into other fights many after that in the streets over there. But, you know, so I don't know if he had anything to do with it or if they were 
friends, but I didn't, I never recognized him again. Um, but then again, that could have been me because all of this happened so quickly, you know, but uh, I felt really good. I mean, I really did. I felt good about myself, but I kept it to myself. You know, I didn't start bullying people. I was never a bully. I was a guy that used to like to, even to this day, I like to put the bullies in their place. You got a lot of bullies out there. And man, I don't like bullies <coughs> at all. But yeah, I've, and then there were other times too when I was just outnumbered, right? So, you know, you just use your skills to survive that moment in time. All right. Not where you, this is a karate movie where you're going to take out nine guys. Okay. Um, two guys. Okay. You know, that, that might happen. You know, that's not, I've had that. That's not, that's not so bad. But when you got four or five guys and they all got clubs or pipes or baseball bats or knives, you, and that's, I faced that shit. You have, you have a situation on your hands. Okay. So you use your skills now to not destroy five guys, but to ensure that you're surviving this and getting out. So it's a lot of mind stuff, you know, got to play, you got to play your mind games with yourself. Got to be ready. But uh, yeah, I miss uh, uh, some, some now, now I don't miss it now, but I'm old, but I, I sometimes miss thinking, you know, back to those times where like, that was pretty good. You know, I was like really in shape, fearless, didn't care. But a part of it was I didn't have anything to live for. My life was so horrible. What the f I don't care. You know, they want to shoot me dead. Fine. The troubles are over. I think now because I'm, I'm, I'm so my mom, I, she's dependent on me. Without me, she's dead. Now I, I have a huge responsibility. I have to watch myself. I can't get into fights. I can't get arrested. Okay. I can't be a day or two in, 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 in jail or whatever it would be or longer or, you know, I can't, I, I got to deal with her. So it's, it, it changes my perspective now for the first time in my life. And that's weird. You know, we talk about like your street confrontations, but Rod Vaughn had some too, right? Some guys tried oh. to mug him and things, which I can't imagine being talk about luck, worst luck in the world, trying to mug that guy. Um, but um, were you aware that he, or did that? Did you find that out later that he had defended himself on the street with this stuff? Like, you know, were, were those stories kind of out there? Because it sounds like, in some ways, maybe it wasn't well known that he was using this stuff to protect himself. There's stories that nobody knows that I know. So yeah, that particular story I knew. I knew when it happened. I wasn't there, but you know, I knew about it shortly afterwards. But there's things he did that. No, didn't make the news. Most crime didn't make the news back then. This isn't like nowadays, you know, somebody trips on a crack on a sidewalk, it makes the news. You know, back then, nothing, hardly anything made the news unless it was like major, you know, um, crazy crime. Um, like when the Rambo movie came out, some Vietnam vet in Cleveland took off, went into the forest. Uh, they call it the Metro Parks over there with a gun. You know, he snapped and did a Rambo thing, and, and that made the news, you know, but most of the stuff never made the news, and <clears throat> a lot of times people didn't even report the crimes, okay, I mean, for what, you know, the police were not, they weren't Starsky and Hutch, I'll tell you that right now, 
So, but Ron, yeah, that you're talking about the story where he picked the guy up and threw him into the other guy. Is that the story you're talking about? I think so, because it was at the time when your mom, when I was sitting out back at your place, and she had kind of relayed the story about how, you know, she had met him when she was pregnant with you. And then later on, she talked about some story where he was jumped by a few guys and put them in the hospital. And he, he was relaying this, but he, he must have told her that story or something, because yeah. he, she said something to the fact of like, yeah, but they never got my money. Like he was, <laughs> you know, I kept my money. Well, that was a different story. Yeah, that was another one. Yeah, that's the one he told her about. Yeah, he, um, he, yeah, they just, it was, he could kill people. And he actually killed a wrestler in the ring. This is a guy that, if he grabs you here, that's gone. He's not going to rip it out like, you know, uh, Roadhouse. But he'll crush your, your trachea, okay? He could grab your nose and just squeeze it, and you, that, you're, you're, that won't kill you, but your, your nose is done, okay? Now try to fight when you're, you're, it's crushed. Um, the guy could do things. If, if he got you, he could wrench you, break your neck. He shows, I know, I know how to break necks, but for him to break a neck, he could just do it just brute strength. You know the story about this one. I told you that already. Um, so this guy was lethal. Now, there's – it's a whole nother level when you're lethal, when you have to restrain yourself from killing somebody with your bare hands. Most guys have to exert themselves – to kill somebody with their bare hands unless it's a freak you hit them and they they fall and they hit their head he was a type it was just the opposite i have to consciously think about not killing somebody with my bare hands how, how did he kill a guy in the ring what happened well this, i told you he was a bergen belson concentration camp survivor and this guy was an actual german a wrestler and uh I guess did some Nazi stuff, you know, antagonizing him and shit. And Ron Von got him on the ground and just, you know, stretched him and killed him. And that was apparently the last, I think it happened in Michigan, maybe Detroit. That was the last time that Ron Von wrestled. That was before my time or before I knew him. It was probably like in the 60s or something like that. The was late it, 60s. Was it a chokehold he put on him? I think it was uh, something else. Like a crank? Something else. I did, something else. Something like that, yeah. No, and, and he... Um, it was bad. No. Not, not, you don't push a man's buttons like him. Like, there's other people. You just don't push buttons. Don't do it. This guy pushed his buttons. I think Joe read about that too. Didn't you read about it something, Joe, or no? Oh, goodness. I have several articles I got. I think you ha there's access you can get online. I think it was the Plain Dealer, the Cleveland Plain Dealer. Um, oh, that was our major page. Yeah, so there's like, if you search on that, and I was uh, downloading articles on that. I don't know if I ever found that one because the impression that I would get from talking about it was it's something that they probably 
the people in the know knew what happened, but they probably played it off as an accident. No accidental death in the ring. But you know what, buddy, no one's ever going to go in the ring with you again, because clearly, you know, if he's dealing with some kind of PTSD or whatever and has the ability, you know, he was probably he was the policeman for his gym. Right. So people kind of trust him. So I'm sure that, that, you know, was the end of his career. And and maybe rightly so, honestly, because, you know, probably more people could have gotten hurt. You know, I'm sure that people want to protect themselves. So it got swept under the rug. So I don't remember reading about that one specifically. Um, But yeah, it's interesting to to go back. There's actually articles when he first shows up in Cleveland. Um, I'll have to find it, but it talks about, you know, you know, Polish immigrant in World War II shows up in our office and, and puts on a demonstration and he'll be doing a show soon. You know, it was, but, I mean, it was like, he was like a new thing. It was like in like 1949 or something, a Cleveland, Cleveland plane dealer, uh, you know, t- I mean, even then they were talking about, you know, he was, you know, smashing stones and bending coins and, you know, and, and then, yeah, then it's interesting to watch his career because I'll have ads for, um, you know, his different wrestling matches, you know, and this is, I think, mostly in the 50s, I think a lot of them were, um, what's a real shame is there was TV footage of him, supposedly, I I tried to find that, and that's, you know, if anybody's listening to this, it would be great to see if there's any, it's very likely that it's it's just lost to history, where he was on TV lifting things and bending coins and things like that, it would have been really cool to see him do a demonstration, Um, but yeah, I actually, I think I reached out to the UCLA Film Archive, you know, and some other things, and some historical societies. I guess that's kind of why I'm happy we're doing this podcast is here's, you know, such an amazing guy, you know, such an, uh, you know, uh, so much to his story and his abilities. I mean, unique, you know, a once in a lifetime kind of a guy. And I think a lot of it's fading away and being largely forgotten, you know, for, for several reasons or whatever, but it just goes to show you, I think you made an earlier point that not everything, you know, you know, you think everything's on the internet, but stuff's fading away. You know, there's information that we're losing. Like even when I reached out to like historical societies in Cleveland about him, they had one or two pictures, you know, but there's not a lot of, lot of uh, stuff about him. So for someone who had, you know, uh, so many gifts and talents, you know, uh, and the generation that knew him is mostly gone too, you know? Yeah. And the stories now are just ridiculous. Somebody a few years ago emailed me and he was like an intermediary I answered a couple questions, but this, this was, and I just kind of blew it off. Oh, I was a kid. I don't want to know. Cause this guy was talking stupid shit. You know, he had three sets of teeth or some shit, extra ribs. You know, I don't respond to morons like that. Okay. These are people who are, you know, living that, you know, on, on, on the flat earth. Okay. Um, you, you can't, you know, I won't, I won't even dignify stupid shit like that, you know, with a response. Uh, so, you know, it, it, it angers me. Okay. Um, no, he didn't have two sets of teeth and, and extra ribs and all of this other kind of shit. Okay. Uh, and I get violently offended when people start talking idiotic shit like that. Um, so he was just genetically strong. I mean, what's his, uh, 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 hang on now. Uh, Danny Hodge, another one. I never met, I was supposed to, but I never got a chance. He had great grip strength and all of that shit, and he was, you know, supposedly really, really strong. I don't know. I don't think he'd bend coins, but, you know, just Rod Von's one of these guys, you know, and, yeah, and he worked at, you know, things and, you know, toughening up his fingers and, you know, so he could. Um, but, yeah, I, 
there's and who and there may be other people out there that we know we never heard of that 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 did incredible things, you know. Um, who knows? I don't. Uh, but you you get so many exaggerations and so on. I'm here to tell you, no one you guys have ever seen would be able to whoop his ass in a grappling match. No one. No, not one. No one. Okay. I mean, no one. You guys have no idea what he was capable of. No one. I've never seen anybody that would even remotely come close. He was just amazing. Uh, it's just not, it, you can't even go any deeper than that. Um, but I, I would love to have known what he was like in, in his prime. They were going to make a movie about the guy, you know, called the atomic man. Uh, you know, I guess he did some shorts or, you know, like a short, like a 10 minute cinescope or whatever it was called uh, out in LA or, or Hollywood, wherever. Um, but yeah, they were going to make a movie about his, him, but it, it, I don't know why it never happened. And it was going to be called, I believe, the Atomic Man. Because back then, you know, the atomic bomb, and just right after World War II and shit. He was how, bi- how big was Rod Von? Like, how, what, what was his height and weight? I'd say around six foot, maybe 5'11", six foot, probably around 200, 210. You know, he wasn't a giant by no means, you know, um, I, I was taller than him, you know, at the end, not, not when I first started training with him, you know, I was only 13, but by the time I was, and I was basically six foot two. So by the time I was done, you know, um, so I was, I was taller than him. So I'd say five ten to six foot, maybe wasn't like big, you know, like an Andre the Giant or something like that. No. But he had that big barrel chest. And it, it, but his hands, his, his, his grip. I mean, it was just, it was incredible. That's the thing. And his arms, when he body locked you, it, that's it. They're like, it's like a boa constrictor. You know, um, and, and not all of it was strength. I mean, he had the strength to do it. But it was technique, like I showed you guys, the right way to body lock where you can break a guy's rib and shit like that. And, and same with the, you know, you can put a headlock on, like a, a, almost like a, a, an Ed Strangler-Lewis type of headlock. But for real, and then just using your, you know, proper technique makes it feel like you're in a, you know, a, a nutcracker, you know. A lot of it's, it's you got to have strength, but you have to have technique. But he was... Deadly man. Well, I think that's what makes him so scary is that he had this proper technique and the crazy strength. I mean, it's that weird mix of like heat. Yeah, I, yeah, just a combination that clearly very few people on earth have ever had, you know? Uh, so that, yeah, it, I can't think of a more dangerous combination. No, uh, you know, he didn't have the speed, but, you know, if you threw that in there, and then now you you've covered all bases, and he was tough. He had a high pain pain tolerance, and he was like Andre, and he was like fearless. Um, you know, which that's the one thing. He, I don't know. He had, he went through so much in his life, kind of like I did. You you almost welcome death. I mean, you're not suicidal, and you're not even a daredevil, but 
you know, so what? You're going to kill me? All right. Thank you. So you fight with that detachment from it, from the fear of death. And, you know, it's psychotic in a way, really, or, uh, but it's, it's a, just a lot of people have that. Daredevils, iron workers, you know. You think a high iron worker can worry about dying every day? He could never go up there if he was always thinking about that. Okay? You can't. You, you've got to detach yourself from it. You know, and I don't know. <laughs> like I said, I've, I've never cared. Now I, I do because of my mom, but outside of her, I don't give it once something happens with her, then I don't give two shits. I'll be back like I used to be. I, what do I have? I, I don't have nothing else. I don't have, I'm not married. I don't have family or anything. I got nothing. So. Oh, well, well, Tony, we love you like your family. So you got, you have us. <laughs> if you were my son, I'd run away from home. <laughs> <laughs> so would I. <laughs> uh, getting back to what uh, uh, Joe was talking about, um, because I, I too have looked for uh, anything uh, ring related, as far as uh, the, the contingency about Stanley, uh, but unfortunately, so much of the wrestling from that era, to the extent that it existed on videos, lost the time. There's you know some of the bigger promotions they're able to capture some of that, but um, he also appeared on a TV show called You Ask for It. Did you ever see that that appearance? No, because that was long, that's what we're talking about trying to find because that was before my time. I may not yeah. even, yeah, I may not even have been born, um, but he lifted a pony, I think, wow. and, and he bent the coin and uh, something else. He did a, see, that's the thing about his strongman thing. He did, like, every strongman before him had their specialty, but, but he did all of their specialties. He'd, he'd lift the pony, he'd walk up the, the um, ladders with the pony, the tug-of-war shit, the pulling of the trucks. He let the, the truck run over his chest with no ramp. Uh, here's the funny thing. The tallest building in Cleveland at the time was called the Terminal Tower. It's now like the second tallest. For a while, it was the tallest building in America outside of New York. It was, it's about 752 feet tall. It's my favorite building in the world. They have a flagpole on the very top of the building. Okay, It comes to a sphere like a point. And um, they would... When the Cleveland Indians would win, they put the Indians flag up, all that shit. But anyway, so Ron Vaughn had this brilliant idea that he was going to get a pulley and mount it to the top of the flagpole, 752 feet up, get a cable, attach one end of the cable to a guy that on a like a harness. The other end of that cable is going to be attached to a mouthpiece. He's going to put it in his mouth. Then he was just going to start walking backwards and, and lift the guy up the outside of the building. All right? <laughs> now, the city of Cleveland said, you can't do that stunt. That's too dangerous. You must be crazy to do that. No, Robin wasn't crazy. The 25 guys that volunteered to get lifted up were crazy. <laughs> no, they were the yeah. crazy <laughs> I was expecting to say no one would agree to do it. That is crazy. Twenty-five people or something. They were they were drawing numbers. With the, these Polish guys wanted. Oh yeah, they wanted to get lifted up the building by Radvan. I mean, come on. That was just. I mean, 
<laughs> Crazy. That's, that's community spirit for you. That, that's oh, what you're missing yeah. in America. That's... Oh, absolutely. Yeah, uh, but think, think, think about it. You know, I mean, if he had some engineer, they could have figured a way to do it. But I mean, Cleveland wasn't going to allow that to happen. Uh, they did have a baseball. There was a pitcher that threw a ball. There used to be a catcher for the Cleveland Indians called Frankie Pitlack. He was a little short little guy. This was before my time. And Frankie Pitlack caught the ball coming off the terminal tower, but it, it knocked his teeth out because the, the mitt went back <laughs> into his face. Oh, yeah. But like the um, opposite of the, uh, the Rod Vaughn taking his huh? teeth out. It's, all, it's, it's very similar. It's very um, teeth-related. Yeah. Well, but you, you, you see, here's, here's the thing. Um, the guy – he he was a local guy. You're just a local guy, right? He, but he was well loved in his community, and uh, I'm sure Chicago, New York, probably had similar people like that. You know, the neighborhood strong because there's like it, over here in Chicago, there was some. I think he was a outfit guy or something like that. But he was like supposedly really big, gigantic, strong who used to do, like, on Taylor Street, would just do some feats of strength, you know, lifting up kegs or, you know, whatever. I don't know. This is hearsay. But, you know, you always have – you got – you got you have people like that, you know. Um, when I did my feats of strength, I did a couple of routines, you know, bending the nails and bending the bars and all of that crap. Nobody in my neighborhood knew about it because I did it out in a suburb when they were opening up a martial arts school. But, you know – if the guys would have known, they could have said, oh, we got Tony the Strongman living on our street, right? Uh, I blew up the hot water bottles and shit. Um, but I'm not a rod dog. No, Very few people, if anybody, was strength-wise. He was unique in that, in that regard. But I'm telling you, everybody, you know, I get on these rants about people who just don't train right. There's levels that people could be excelling at right now. You could have some really guys that are just scary good if they had just the right coaching, man. Just, I wish I could, I wish I still had my gym. I wish I could get 10 of them and, you know, just say, Hey, you got to stay with me for two years. You know, they'd never lose if they were willing to, you know, dedicate their life to it, you know, and just well, however long it takes, they say two years, but you know what I mean, however long it would take, you know, of doing this, 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 man, if only, but too old, need to get a regular job. <laughs> well, I think, I think this is great. I think, you know, like obviously Andre, like much like myself was trying to hunt down information and it's, it's not out there very much. So I think at least I'm, I'm happy that we did something here to kind of hopefully raise some awareness, you know, and archive some information on, you know, your memories of Rod Vaughn. And maybe, you know, if there's people out there who have other information on them and want to like pass it on, you know, I, I also think there's, there used to do a radio show in Cleveland. It was mostly in Polish, but there's probably maybe audio recordings out there or like, you know, it'd be cool to see like wrestling posters, but you can't find it anywhere. I've been, you know, searching eBay for years. So, I mean, well, that's a long way of going saying that, you know, I'm happy that we did this today, uh, that we got these stories out, um, you know, and shared your experiences uh, to kind of get a real impression of the guy who was really, you know, one in a billion kind of a personality, you know, and uh, like you said, he was only a local celebrity, unfortunately, and, you know, uh, 
memory's fate. So we're just doing what we can to, uh, you know, pay tribute to a guy who, you know, the reason why we're training is because he was willing to take you under his wing, you know, and you were tough enough to hang in there for that kind of crazy training. Uh, but it, it, you know, what he did, you know, has gone a long way to uh, continuing this knowledge, you know, you know, into the 21st century, and hopefully this will continue. Well, as long as I stay alive, I mean, you know, physically, if I'm able, I'll, I'll continue because, yeah, you can't get it anywhere else unless, you know, it was some, somebody that I trained. Um, he didn't like a lot of people. I mean, he, like he, I said, he called, you know, he, he called it like as it is. You know, these guys aren't, they're not that good. Or some of them are just outright fakes, um, you know, or, or the, you know, little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing type of people. Um, he told me over and over and over, you're the, you're the only one that knows this. Nobody else in the world's going to know this. They just don't have that knowledge. They don't care. They, he says, the ones that did know are, are, are too old or dead, you know, and uh, that was 40 years ago. So they're all dead. Uh, but, you know, it's certain people have marketed themselves and the old timers, if they were alive, they wouldn't have stood for it. There, there were some good shooters and hookers out of America. That's the home of all of this. Not England, here. This is where, you know, the champions came from. And before here, it went way back into antiquity and through the centuries and so on. And um, there were just, they've, they, so many of them have passed long before, most of them before I was even born or when I was a really young boy you know, like four or five years old, you know, where I didn't even know anything about wrestling. But it doesn't matter now. You can't live in the past. You know, we're here now. We're, we're still trying to get things going here, um, you know, and keep and keep this alive as best we can. So we'll see. No, it's definitely good. I'm glad we talked about this today. This is a good topic. I'm glad we covered it. Um, any other thoughts, guys? Any last questions or... That was a good episode. Yeah, I know. I just join you, join you, Joe, and and I think it's important to talk about these things because, like, what Tony possesses, what he knows, and what we're trying to extract from him, these types of things are awesome. We lost the time, so it's it's I'm honored that you guys invited me here to kind of witness this uh, play out, but uh, I do think it's important that we document what we can while it's still here. Uh, nowadays anything said or done is documented and exists forever. So back then it wasn't that way. So uh, at least now that we can document what's, what's, you know, what's left and whatever knowledge is still uh, available. So what I'd like, what I'd like is for somebody, you know, a cameraman to just hang out with me for like three, four days, right? Not even wrestling, just doing like what we're doing now. If I got to go to the store, if I want to go hang out somewhere, and just, you know, record, interview me where I feel comfortable and relaxed. And, you know, people like Joe or whoever's there, Nico, you know, to, to ask me these questions or because you guys know me that like a lot of people that train with me, we used to go out afterwards and hang out. And a lot of them said, man, we get better training when we're out here in the bar than we were in the gym because, you know, I'm out around people. And then now I can see, OK, this is what I would do. This is what you should do. Blah, 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 blah. And, you know, it makes me relaxed. I become very, I become a different person when I'm in the gym. I become very mean and focused and aggressive. 
because that's my life. That's not a tap out play game with me. So I get really, really, really serious and I lose my sense of humor and all that other shit. Even here, sometimes I lose my humor. But when I'm out in public, when I'm away from all of it, right, then I can relax and chill out and, and you know, and, and then you can pick my brain. That's really what I'd like to do. I, cause that would be to me a good documentation, but you can't do it in an hour. You know, the guy would have to spend a few days, you know, um, and just, like I said, film. And now with the, all you need is the SD cards, you know, you, you don't have to actually film it, you know, just keep SD carding it, you know, you can get hundreds of hours of footage for, you know, pennies, what, 20 bucks or a hundred dollars for the SD cards, whatever. That'd be a great idea. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, let's wrap it up. Hopefully I'll see you next week and we can talk about the membership program. Yeah. We forgot about that. We got to do that. Yes. Let's go. Well, you know, things have been, things aren't always easy when you're dealing with people's schedules and it's hard for me. I can't do this during the weeknights. It's just so difficult with my mom, but, um, but anyway, all right, let's, uh, let's wrap it up and then I'll, I'll stay on board here and I'll see you guys next week. Thank you. Bye everybody. Bye Bye -bye, everyone. One.